We thank you, God, that your promises are faithful and true. They are always yes and amen. You can be trusted. For that, we are thankful. As we gather now to hear from your word, we ask your blessing on us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I just want to explain next week a bit because next week will be a little different. Um, in the first service, we're delighted and excited to celebrate a baptism, and so Ash will be baptized in the first service. And in the second service, two of the young men from the Karen congregation will be baptized in our service. To date, all of the Karen young men have been baptized in the, and women have been baptized in the Karen service at 2 o'clock, where I'll be preaching this week, today, and next week. These guys have been part of a Bible study with me. Many of you know at the 11 o'clock service. Actually, you may not know because you're in the 9 o'clock service. But there's a whole group of the people from the Karen uh, church that attend every week. Sometimes it's hard to know who's Karen and who's not because we have a whole group, about 80 students from the Hamilton Chinese Christian Fellowship that are here as well in that service. Um, but when I asked them, when I met with them with Close Say a number of weeks ago and said, when, where would you like to be baptized? Like what date? Uh, they said, you know, November 7th worked. I said, perfect. They said, but pastor, we want to get baptized in the James North service at 11 because that is where really God has gripped our heart and helped us to grow. And um, so here's what's going to happen next week. If you want to join us at 11, we'd love to have you, or you can watch it live stream. Their testimonies are powerful of, of, of walking away from God and God's gripping their hearts and bringing them back. These two guys, God has just powerfully gripped their hearts and brought them back to himself. And what we're going to do in that service is close say, because their families are going to join us, of course, in the 11 o'clock service, close say is going to translate for me through the baptism time. And then in the overflow next week in the 11 o'clock service, all of the Karen families who don't speak English well are going to go out with Close, and uh, he's going to translate my message to them. Now, you can pray for Close, because today when he translates for me, this is what happened. I said, and God spoke, and he says that. And I said, and they heard the voice of the Lord, and he says that. And then they obeyed the voice of the Lord, and then he says that. And that's not what's going to happen next week when I preach. I will be preaching probably at full throttle, trying to slow myself down, you guys know, like, you can't put me on 1.5 or 2 times. Like, you know, you listen to some podcasts, you just go two times, and you, you still catch everything. And I had a donor write me this week and said, I tried that with you, and it sounded like Mickey Mouse kind of just going through, right, on fast speed. I said, thank you. I sound like Mickey Mouse. That's great. Um, and so next week, that's what's going to happen in the second service, and the Karen people will all head out to the overflow um, during the message time where Close Say will be translating uh, the message that is there. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God falls on the people there at Pentecost. People have gathered from all over the world for this celebration. Paul did a great job explaining that a couple of weeks ago. And as people had gathered from around the world for Pentecost, and they were there, and God's Spirit chose to fall first on the apostles, granting them the ability to speak in languages that they had not ever learned. And then, as God miraculously moved, and Peter began to declare the Word of God, and people were brought to the quickening of the heart, and they realized, as I said last week, they killed God. No one knew what to do with that. I mean, all of a sudden they realized the Messiah came, the promised one we'd been waiting for, the anointed one we'd been hoping for actually came, and we cried out, crucify him. We, we stood there with Pilate, where Pilate was willing to release him, and we cried out, crucify him. So, I mean, some of the people that were there in Jerusalem that day for Pentecost would have been there when that was happening. And in that moment, they realize, what do we do? And they say that to Peter. How, how do we ever come clean? How can God ever 
ever allow us to be in relationship with him. I mean, we, we killed God. What do we do? And Peter's answer is the answer to us through all of the church history. Repent. Repent. T- turn from your sin. Be baptized in the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of your sin. The Lord's the only one we've got. It's him. And as the Spirit falls that day, 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and are, and are saved. God is powerfully at work. I mean, I, I heard a story this week in a Muslim country when I was with a, a group of people and, and we're talking about some of the work that God's doing around the world. And, and, and in the Muslim country recently, uh, a group of people gathered. They had 45 minutes. They swarmed a, a, a riverside. 300 of them that had come to faith in Christ were baptized in 45 minutes and they all left so that they weren't killed. God still is working around our world. 300 Muslims converted to Christianity, recently saved and baptized. I mean, hearing those accounts of those stories is, is just one of those things that it just it ignites faith in you. Um, it excites you about what God's doing around the world. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved. But what happens after you're saved? I mean, after God grips your heart, after God changes your life, what happens? What does the Spirit of God do in this moment as God's Spirit saves a group and then God's Spirit begins to pull this group together? Well, he organizes them in this thing we call the church, the body of Christ, his bride. You may know this, but if you read the last, the previous census, the the data for the last one that we just did in May has not been released yet, but if you read the data from the previous census in Canada... We are in the first time in all of Canadian history where the single-person household is the largest household. Never before has a single-person household been the largest household in Canadian history, and it is. There's a variety of reasons for it. The divorce rate is one of the reasons. People are choosing not to live common law. The reason is because people realized that when they lived common law and they chose to separate after, they were treated like, uh, like people that were married after two years of living common law. So all your assets are divided according to that. So people now keep their primary residence and maybe keep their toothbrush somewhere else. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying it's what happens, right? So that kind of stuff is occurring. People are getting married later. And so the singleness of our culture and society is massive. You may have read this, but Global News did a highlight on a study, a Canadian study that was done earlier this year by McGill and a couple of other universities um, with research professors. 45,000 people a year in Canada, they are suggesting, die from loneliness. They actually just give up living because they are in such isolation. I mean, the girls who were with me this morning, Jewel and I, who have gone downstairs to serve, Around the corner from our house was a barricaded home, right? Large steel fences with barbed wire all around it, right by the ghost station. It's now just vacant land. And I tried to get to know this man. I tried to talk to him. I tried to connect with him. And he wanted nothing to do with anyone. I remember one day the gate just opened a bit while I was going for a morning run. And I went to say hi, and he said bye. Literally, I said hi. He said bye, and he shut the gate. Sadly, a couple of years ago, one winter, he fell outside, he couldn't get up again, and he died. And his body just began to decompose there on the ground. They, they found it because of the animals that were digesting it. Sorry, that's probably graphic. And, and, and he died alone. 45,000 Canadians dying with loneliness. 
And as the Spirit of God saves these 3,000 people, he chooses to organize them into these local congregations, these expressions of God's family here on the earth. If you have your Bibles, Acts 2, just a few verses, verses 42 to 47, as we go through the book of Acts, the verses will be on the screen. They, that's the 3,000 believers, the apostles that were there, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as there was need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Eight things quickly through this text, but I want to say this before I begin into the text. Church is hard. Church is hard. Whenever you bring people together and they have to interact together and they're close together and they sin against each other and there's mess, church can be hard. I didn't announce this last week because it was being announced the same time that we were here, but you know, last Saturday Dave Arnold sent me an email because I've been connecting with Dave from St. Clair because Dave's a friend who'd become the lead pastor of St. Clair and he resigned from St. Clair last week. And David sent me an email ahead of time because I'd gone out with him and talked to him and Matt and through this, you know, and, 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 and I just reached out to Dave and said, hey, I want you to know we love you and care for you and Jen. If there's anything we can do, we want to help. But if you watch, he sent me the link that morning to their uh, video and, and to the resignation. I mean, if you watch it, it's just a heartbreaking moment. And watching Matt Pamplin get up after to just kind of try to pull things together. And so I just pray for them. Because sometimes church is just hard. It's just challenging. You bump up against each other. You have a passion for something that no one else in the church seems to share. You have an idea that no one else seems to, seems to want to embrace. You have some thoughts that people are sometimes against. And you're like, what's going on here? Like, I mean, God's spirit can't be in them because he's in me. And he's leading me here. What's wrong with these people? Right? You sin against others, and, 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 and or they sin against you, and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment all begin to bubble up things maybe that you hadn't experienced before. And you realize that the closer you get to people, the harder it is. Church can be hard. But I want you to know on the other side, church can be glorious. I mean, I said this in the second service last week when I look out every week at Burton Kelly, and we've vacationed with Burton Kelly, we've hung out with Burton Kelly's. We've had, we've had Burton Kelly at times, we've, we've not seen eye to eye on stuff. But every time I see Kelly, I'm thankful because it's because of Kelly's witness that my wife came to faith in Christ. It's because of Kelly's witness that Amy, from this non-Christian home, heard the gospel, received Christ, and was saved. And so in the middle of that, there's great joy. Because you're also amazed and thankful to the work that God does in us through each other. So eight things really quickly. First, they were a devoted church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. Loyal, faithful, dedicated. I mean, they just dug in. They just said, we're here. And it's really easy for us to be dedicated to so many things. A hobby, some type of sports, entertainment, squid game. It's really easy to be dedicated, some of you got that, to be dedicated to so many things. I mean, what's, we, I, I, our daughter broke our eight-year-old TV. It was a plasma TV that she left on too long, and it just, it just, stopped working and so I googled all the so it was a fairly expensive Panasonic TV so we went out a few weeks ago and bought a new TV we had a smart TV and our old TV you actually had to 
wait. It wasn't smart. And so you, you kind of had to, you know, put Netflix in through your computer and wait for this and do that. And then, it, you know, next for the next thing. And now your new show starts in three seconds. Two, one, boom, it's on. And, like, and, and I was listening to the radio this week, or it was last week as I was driving back and forth to Whistler for the meetings I was at at one point. And, um, and as I was listening, these radio talk show hosts were talking about the addiction they now have to whether it be Netflix or Disney Prime or you name it, Amazon Prime, sorry, Disney Plus, because the next show just starts so quickly. And lots of people end up devoted to this stuff. They devote themselves to a hobby. They devote themselves uh, to entertainment. They devote themselves uh, to their job. They devote themselves to their own success. They, lots of things that people are devoted to and know what they were devoted to. They're devoted to, firstly, the apostles' teaching. So it wasn't only a devoted church. It was a learning church. It was a learning church. They gathered together to learn what God had said. Now, remember, at this time, there was no written New Testament documents. The Gospels hadn't been written. In fact, some of the Gospels are likely written after some of the epistles. So there's no written New Testament documents at this point in time. They just devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's all they had. So the apostles, the 12 apostles, um, because Matthias has replaced Judas at this point in time, are going around to the 3,000 teaching. They're, they're meeting in groups, in large groups, in meeting groups, in small groups, and they're teaching. And they were devoted to what the apostles were saying. The apostles were declaring what it meant that they had walked with the Lord, what it meant that he had incarnated himself, what it meant that he was resurrected, that he had not only died for sin but was raised to life again. They were declaring his ascension. They were there when he was raised to heaven. Remember, they were gazing, and the angel said, don't be gazing, go, you've got work to do. Well, first he said, wait, and then you're going to go, wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to fall, then you're going to go. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were a learning church. So they would have had the Old Testament. They would have been digging into it, which is why they likely gathered at the temple also to make witness. And as they gathered, they, they, just, they just wanted to be a learning church. they like, we realize that everything about our culture, who we are, what we've understood, the stuff, that the ideology that has saturated us isn't what God wants. And so you can name it, whether it's about materialism, whether it's about the way that we treat each other, whether it's a way, the way the world works in terms of God's existence, whether it's about sexuality. We need to align ourselves to what God has said because God has spoken. God's chosen to reveal himself in the word to us. I mean, the difference between then and now is then they didn't have a closed canon of scripture. Now we do. We have the apostles' teaching written down for us. Either their words as God inspired them or the words of those traveling with them. I mean, Luke was not an apostle, right, who wrote the book of Acts. I went this through, through this the first week in the series. Luke was a traveling companion of, of Paul. That's why when you get to chapter 16 of the book of Acts, it shifts from they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that, to we did this, we did that, we did this. You can see multiple times from chapter 16 on Luke is traveling. It's likely in that time that Luke gathered the information for his gospel as he's with Paul, and probably at that point in time, I mean, James had been executed, but Peter is still around, John is still around, he's probably talking to them, he's extracting information, Andrew, I mean, what was it like when you brought those, you know, those five loaves and the two fish, and Andrew's like, you know, it, it was mind-blowing, right, like, like what God did there was mind-blowing, what Jesus did, and so that's how Luke gathered his information, but, but we now have the canon closed for us, complete, that we get to dig into and dive into, they were just sitting there listening and writing down what the apostles were saying. They were devouring it. And so we have the privilege together. Remember, this is them together. This is not just about our time with the Lord in devotion, though that would be important. 
we have the opportunity together to learn from God's word. Whether that be here on a Sunday morning, some of the seminars we run, community groups that so many of you are part of. We've got like 130 or so people between young adults and community groups that are part of community groups every week. More starting in January. And we get to devour the word of God together. We can be devoted to the apostles' teaching. As many of you know, many of the Karen young men and women, when they came here, and it's just a sad, tragic story. I've spoken into this now in terms of even into levels of government. And, and because we brought them here as refugees to the United Nations, many of them only had a grade 7 education in a refugee camp. And then if they're 16 years old, when they get here, they're just plucked into grade 11. They don't know what to do because they don't know any English, zero, because they lived, I mean, close they lived 23 years in, a, in Thailand in a refugee camp, no electricity, no running water, no sanitation. I mean, that just sometimes waves over me. And so there they are. Their kids are now put in grade 11. Their teachers are saying God doesn't exist. They go to their agrarian parents who work in agriculture and say, why do you believe God exists? And they say, because we do. And they say, why do you believe the Bible's real? They say, because we do. And the kids all walked away from the faith. And one of the young men that is at the Bible study said a number of weeks ago to the guys as we gathered, we were talking about the pleasures of sin and how it can distract us. And there's now quite a group of us gathering here. And then um, there's a group gathering at Brandon and Victoria's of the, of the women, young women gathering on Tuesday nights. And, and as we were all there just kind of talking, the one young man said, you know, he said, all of the pleasures of this world that I thought it had to offer is nothing compared to the joy I experience when we gather together to study God's word. I said, what? He said, all that pleasure that I, that I had engaged in, that I thought would bring me life, that I thought that I would enjoy, he said, I realized how empty it was compared to us gathering together weekly and studying God's word. He said, I have never felt so full. I have never felt so alive. And I'm baptizing him next week. He's one of the young guys we're baptizing. Because that's what God does. And as we're aligned to the apostles' teaching, as we're aligned to the word of God, God gives life. So they were a devoted church. They were a learning church, number three. They were a connected church. They enjoyed fellowship. They, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, to prayer. They were a, they were a, learn, a, sorry, a, a connected church. They gathered with each other. They realized that their lives need to be intimately connected. It's why we took our community groups here and said, we're not going to have 14 or 18 people meeting in living rooms anymore. We're going to shrink it to 10. And so we're going to do groups of 10. We want to do some more life on life. Karen Huska has been writing out questions for the community group leaders that we're able to take as a great template, and, and uh, some use them in their entirety. I know some of you have, have altered some of them, but they've been an incredible template. And we've tried to have moments in our groups of testimony and moments of transparent uh, accountability and, and, and even talking through just kind of some life and life of what God's doing and going on as we've taken all of our groups through the book of Acts together because we long to be people that fellowship that actually enjoy each other's company. I mean, when our elders were here, we were here Friday night and all day Saturday for a retreat. And when we were here, we watched five guys, four or five, I, I didn't count to be honest, but I know there's five in the group, guys walk into the building for their covenant group that meet here every other week. And I was like, thank you God for these guys. You know, as they were walking in, I'm just like thinking, that was funny because we were in the, the boardroom meeting and you could see all of them try to peek through the, the, the different parts of the glass where we have the, the, the shading or whatever that is. And 
And, um, and we're thankful for that. And so we want to fellowship with each other. We want to invest in other people's lives. I mean, whose life do you invest in at James North? Whose life do you pour yourself into? Whose life are you giving yourself for? And, and, and other lives. Who, whose lives are you, just, are you just saying, we're just going to pour into that? And I know it's busy. I've got four kids. We run a business. I pastor this church. I travel. I, I get busy. I really do. I understand it. And yet pouring into the lives of others is so important. We, we decided last night, we had never done this before, to end our elders' retreat with dinner together. Just so that we could hang out together, be part of fellowship with our families, with our kids. We, we've done celebrations at Christmas and summer, but through the pandemic, we haven't been able to do some of that stuff. And so we did that because fellowship's important. Just, just being able to be together. Because normally as elders, what we do is we work together. So how, how do we also fellowship together when often we're in other groups of fellowship? What does it mean that we don't just work together? And it's challenging at times. But as this group gathered, they really fellowshiped together. So they were a devoted church, a learning church, a connected church. They were also a dependent church. Notice they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The breaking of bread, that's communion. We're going to celebrate that this morning. If you didn't pick up one of the cups with the bread, you can get it as we start the, the song after the message and they celebrated the breaking of bread together. That's, that's communion. That's celebrating that Jesus Christ came down incarnationally. The, the bread represents his body. His body that was broken for us, but also the fact that he incarnated himself. When I often hold the bread, I'm reminded of the incarnation. Not just the brokenness of the cross. It's, it's the juice, the wine, the blood of Jesus that it represents. That reminds me of the brokenness of Christ on the cross. But when I, when I hold that little piece of bread, this little wafer... I'm reminded that he incarnated himself. I'm reminded that he confined himself to a woman's womb. I'm reminded that he chose to do that. I, I'm reminded that, that he was born as helpless as Quinn this morning. I mean, I remember when Ethan came out, and, and, uh, and he was a big boy. He was 10 pounds and, uh, and 2 ounces when Ethan was born. And, and, and um, I remember when I held him just for a moment because he had to, he had to go into the um, neonatal unit for a while because his... He, he, his blood sugar was really low because Amy's body protected her from giving too much to him anyway. But I held him for a couple of minutes. Amy didn't get to, and then they rushed him out. And, and I remember when I held him, the first thought in my mind was, Jesus, you did this for us. You, you were this helpless for us. I mean, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the one who told the stars where they could go, the one who said the mountains where they could stay. I mean, when I was in Vancouver and Whistler a week and a half ago, looking at the mountains, I'd never been to Whistler. I'd been as far as Squamish. It's stunning. It's, it's beautiful. And, and God placed them there. The ocean beside it. I mean, at one point on the way back, I was with a couple of pastors because I'd rented the vehicle. I just pulled over in one of the places where you could look at the side of the road. And, and I just looked, and, and, the, and the one pastor just said, God is magnificent. Just magnificent. And the God who created that, the one who spoke this into existence, confined himself to a woman's womb. He incarnated himself. So when we break bread, I'm reminded of that. I'm reminded of his life. I'm reminded of his ministry, of his sinlessness, of the fact that he kept the law. In two ways he fulfilled the law. The one... He was the Messiah. Everything written about the Messiah is found in Jesus. Two, he never broke the law. He fulfilled the law in both ways so that he could be the perfect second Adam. 
And that's what I think of when I, when I hold this piece of bread. I think of the fact that Jesus would do that for us. And then when I drink the cup, I'm reminded of his shed blood for me. I'm reminded that he would choose to pay the penalty, the price for my sin. The price that I should pay, the death that I deserve. He took on the cross. That the great physician would bleed, that the author of life would die is something that's beyond my comprehension, but true. And so they broke bread and they prayed. It just shows their dependence. I mean, I mean, prayer is coming before God and saying, I can't do it. Prayer is coming before God and saying, I'm helpless. Prayer is coming before God and saying, I can't change my friend's life. Prayer is coming before God and saying, God, we've got a $2.8 million mortgage and it's, it's going to cripple us. God, would you provide? In the last few months, he's provided $800,000. We're down to $2 million. And then when a donor comes to us, that same donor that gave the last half million said, if you could raise another half million between now and Christmas, I'll become your mortgage loaner at 0% interest and I'll just pay off the rest of your mortgage. Which saves us right now like $134,000 in interest a year. I think Jordan said last week 1.1 something million, maybe close to 1.2 million over the time of the mortgage. That's incredible. I mean, that's, that is stunning because prayer is dependence on God. None of us could do that. None of us could orchestrate that. Oh, I wrote him a letter asking if he had the ability to give something else back in the spring. But I, I can't direct someone's heart. Only God does that. And, and so we pray for the change in our life. We pray for the change in other lives. We pray for God's salvation. I, I, I can't save Quinn. Robin Aaron can't save Quinn. You know? And so what do we pray? We pray, God, would you just powerfully speak? Would you just powerfully save? Because we can't. I know Robin Aaron. They're going to share the gospel. They're going to teach their kids. They're going to walk alongside of them, but only God can save. And so they were a dependent community, dependent as they celebrated communion, dependent, Eucharist, dependent as they prayed. They were a praying place. They were also an awestruck church. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. God just simply chose to act. He acted in ways that everyone could say, that is the hand of the Lord. It was to authenticate that the gospel had come, that Christ was the Messiah. We're going to talk about that through the book of Acts. How does God do that today? What does that look like? And, and, and there are ways that God does this that are profound and yet more subtle than we would think. I mean, I think the whole story of this building is a wonder and sign from God. The fact that it wasn't for sale. We went to the owners and said, would you consider it? And they finally said no. We took the, the biggest box of Walker's chocolates I could buy and said, thank you for at least entertaining this. And if you ever change your mind, let us know. And we committed to three months of fasting and praying. In the middle of that, they called us and said, we'll sell the building. I, I remember wanting the dollar deal where they sell it to us for a dollar. And they wanted market value for it. I'm like, market value. And I remember standing across the street. I can use his name now because he's passed away with Bill Bortman, Calvin's dad. And I stood across the street and Bill looked at me and said, don't give up. We had the money in the bank to buy the building at 1.3 million. He said, don't give up the building because you want a dollar deal. God has already moved. He's already acted. He's granted you the money don't be short-sighted. And he says, if you buy it, I'll give a gift too. And he did. Right? We rented the school because we had no place to meet. Our, our other church was too small, and God granted us to it for free. And then time and time again, we needed provision. The price would go up a million dollars. God would provide another million dollars. I mean, I've written this down. It's amazing to reread, to see what God chose to do, to at times just come before him and cry out. 
because he's God. We've also had the privilege as elders watching people in our midst, not tons, a couple, who've really struggled with demonization that we've seen free from it over the years as we've gathered and prayed. We've gathered and prayed for people asking God's healing on people. We've seen some healed, some not. Because it's the will of the Lord, not ours. And we're longing to watch God do what only God can do. And so they were devoted to that. They were, they were devoted, and part of the outworking of their devotion was that they saw signs and wonders, doing what only God can do. They were a sharing community. They sold, sorry, the, the believers were together, verse 44, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone that was in need. Now you'll see this through the book of Acts. This, this that starts here in Acts 2, it works its way through the whole book. It works its way through the entire book. In Acts 4, you see that they're laying the money at the apostles' feet. And, and, and later on in the books of Acts, they're reorganizing things to make sure that no widows are missed in the distribution of food. Because for 3,000 people, this has become complicated. But in these early days, what likely happened? They're gathering in smaller house groups. As they're gathering and gathering at the temple and they're talking, they find out that someone has a need. Someone else that's with them has the ability to um, meet that need. And they just do it. They just say, okay, this person has a need. How do I go about meeting that need? What does that look like? And they just generously give. Through the pandemic, our church has helped so many people. Whether it's through our ministry of coffees on or putting people into housing, some that were living in encampments. Tens of thousands of dollars have gone out of here through the pandemic to help people. And it's, it's a blessing to be part of a place like that. It's a blessing to say, okay, whew, we need some more money for the capital. Please keep giving the capital. Please give to the general because if not, I get fired. And I never, I've never said like that before. You know that. And, and now we have this need. We have someone out there that has this need. I mean, a few weeks ago, I talked about the fact that the, the young man from the Koran community was murdered on our streets, right? I took the funeral. Right? The family will be here, well, they moved to Leamington, so probably not be here today, this afternoon, but, but, but they, they, they wanted to get out of the city. And, um, but they were faithful every Sunday. I mean, faithful in attendance. And um, God's people came together. The whole funeral was paid for. And, and we were able then to give a gift beyond that. We went to the Karen community and said, can you help? And then we didn't even go to our church family because so much money was coming in. And so many of you just said, how do we help? You just came in with checks or you, you e-transferred stuff and said, we just want to help. Because you saw someone needed and you were like, I, I want to give to that. I want to help with that. That's a church I'd love to be a part of. That's a church I'd love to, I just love to, to, to lead and, and, and have a blessing to serve in. When people just say, well, there's a need, how do we help? I love getting emails like that. Dwayne, I have this. Do you know anyone in the church that can use it? I mean, this is what happens. I say, Paula Marcio, Jenna, I don't deal with that stuff much anymore. I pass it on to them, and they, they look after that. But we get to watch that as part of our community. We get to bless them. I mean, there, there is no... Only the Spirit of God can console, can, 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 can um, comfort and console a mom and dad who've lost their son with such tragedy. But the letter she wrote us of thanks 
expressing her gratitude in how we walked alongside of them is a beautifully heartfelt written letter that just said, in the midst of this, God showed himself real. And his people rallied around us. Because that's what he does. And so they were a sharing church. They, they realized that what they had wasn't just theirs, and they didn't need these massive bank accounts. Or these, they probably didn't have bank accounts, and extra lots of land, and they would sell them. And it doesn't mean they put themselves into poverty, but it means they looked at some of the stuff that they were trusting and said, we can trust in the Lord. We don't need to trust this stuff. And they just gave it to the Lord and said, use it. I mean, we've watched people do that here. So they were a devoted church, a learning church, a connected church. They were a dependent church, an awestruck church, a sharing church. They were a gathering church. Every day they met in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they met in two places. Later on, this changes. They meet in the temple courts. I mean, that's where the Jewish people gathered. Why did they meet in the temple courts? Because they wanted to tell their Jewish friends that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, at this point in time, they're not like, ugh, Judaism. They're like, this is our heritage. This is our rich heritage. This is why the language later on is, we're grafted into the Jewish faith. He's the Messiah. Abraham is also our father. And so they met at the temple courts. They continued to worship God. They heard readings from the Old Testament, and they declared to the people there that Jesus is the Messiah. You'll find that all through the book of Acts. In fact, as the apostles go places, there are times when they get to a spot and there isn't a temple, so they go to the place of prayer, which is where they would, or synagogues, which is where they would gather when, when the temple's in Jerusalem, when there was no temple, uh, because the temple's in Jerusalem. They would then go to the synagogues, where there is no synagogue, they go to a place of prayer. And they just went to declare it as they worshiped God, because they knew who he was, Jehovah. Right? Revealed now as Trinity, triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. I mean, always revealed himself that way. I think that's why you see the us's in Genesis, but now in an understanding that was more complete and comprehensive. And so they just gather. They gather in their homes. I mean, I remember this really struck me when Amy and I went to Kenya. Because here we're used to sometimes early mornings and late nights, and then we have electricity, and we go out later at night. But when we were in Kenya, because it's right along the equator where we were, the sun literally gets up at 6 in the morning, sets at 6 at night, and changes by about 10 minutes during the day. Like during the year, sorry. So over the course of the years, there's about a 10-minute difference in sunrise and sunset. And it meant because of the dangers there, there were no evening meetings. And because in their day, there was probably, there was no, not probably, there was no electricity, likely there were no evening meetings. So it meant as they gathered in each other's homes, they were doing so before and after work. And then probably going home to eat, or early in the morning doing that. So when we were in Kenya, there were early morning meetings as the sun got up. Because it's when you met, it was safe, the sun was up. You, were, you, you could do it. And that's likely what these believers are doing. Early morning, early evening, and then, and then heading home. But working full days in between. I mean, you know this, right? As they met on the Lord's Day, because the Sabbath was the day the Romans allowed the Jewish people to have off, Sunday was a work day for them. They worked the whole day Sunday. So they would likely gather as God's people earlier. They'd then go to work, and they'd come back and gather again. That's what we could seem to glean from church history. But during the midday hours, they worked. They had no choice. Sabbath was what they were allowed to have off. That was Saturday. Nobody was honoring the fact that the Lord had risen on the Sunday to give them a Sunday off. So they were a 
gathering church. They continued to gather. They gathered likely in smaller groups as they gathered in homes, larger groups, and they went to the temple, and then eventually to the synagogues and to the places of prayer. Lastly, and i got to finish. I've gone over here. They were a growing church. They were a growing church. I think what happened was something like this. It says the Lord added to their number daily that was being saved. That doesn't mean that in every small gathering the Lord was adding to their number daily. It means overall the Lord was adding to their number daily. It seems to be discouraged. Because we can think, well, the Western world, the church is shrinking. That's true. But you know globally the church is growing, right? You know in some parts of the world exponentially the world is growing. I mean, I gave these stats a number of weeks ago, but when you look at them, you know, back 100 years ago, the global north was, of course, the predominant Christian influence. Now, by far, like by, by I think it was 67% in the stat I had a couple weeks ago, it's the global south that represents the evangelicals around the world. I mean, Christianity at an unprecedented rate in parts of Central America and South America, in parts of Africa, I mean, you can still go to the global north, to parts of Asia, is growing in an unprecedented way. And so when I was in Whistler, that was part of the question. As these 50 pastors gathered from across the country to think and to talk was, God, how will you do it here again? Would you do it here again? So, so much of that meeting was spent just in prayer. I mean, often when I go to these meetings, I know a lot of people, I, I, knew, I knew four other guys. I didn't know 45 of the people there. They were people I was getting to know. People, but I was so impressed by their humility. I mean, some of them are in Canadian churches of the largest of, of, in Canada. 6,000, 5,000, flown out. All, all small, all reformed, all small, C complementarian. All orthodox and views on marriage gathering to say, God, will you do this again? And can we do it together? And we just sought the Lord in prayer. And we looked at other movements around the world right now and said, how, how can this be replicated here? What would this look like? And all I long, like in South America and in Central America and in parts of Africa and Asia, I long to be able to say in Canada again, the Lord is adding to his church daily those that are being saved. Don't you? Oh, I long for that. I long for the day when our city is so saturated with gospel witness that you can't go anywhere without bumping into Christians. I mean, I have it happen every so often now. The other week I went to Food Basics on this part with the kids and, and uh, on my way in, one of the men, elder in the Karen church was there, said hi to him. Went in, one of the young men that used to be our programs was there, said hi to him. Walked a little further, Carter, whose family was a part of our church, was there, said hi to him. Walked out, Pat Cayuga was walking in. I'm like, okay, Lord, this was awesome. I was there for like 15 minutes. But I long to be in a place where you just hear the work of the Lord and what he's doing around our nation and God just choosing to save a people and declaring that who he is and what he's done is real. That he'd authenticate it with signs and wonders, that we depended on him in prayer, that we'd be devoted to the apostles' teaching and what God is asking us to do and how he's asking us to live. That we'd celebrate him in communion. That we take what we have and share it with other people and say, you need some of this, I've got some of this. Might mean we sell something. Might mean we downsize to have that money. Might mean we get rid of some of our TFSAs. And we just are faithful in gathering together. Through all the mess and the bump and grind, 
and the sin, because we will sin against each other, but with the love of Christ, his forgiving example, and the power of God be what lead us. Oh, that we would be this church, amen? We're not this church. I love, I love this church. We're not here. I'm not there. But oh God, would you do such a work in us that this would be us. And that people on the outside would look in and say, there's something about this group. There's something about the way they worship. There's something about the way they study the word. There's something about the way that God's power is at work in months of. There's something about the way that they're dependent upon him and the way that they share what they have with each other and they continue to gather even in the midst of difficulty and suffering and, and, and challenge. There's something about what God has done. And as those that are out look in, they saw those that were in and say, I want to be a part of that. That's why we're baptizing two people in the Karen community next week here. And, and they'll be 10 and 11 of those that we've baptized this year because they started to look in and saw that what was in here was much greater than God, much greater than anything the world had to offer, that what God had to offer was greater. And they said, I want in on that. And you know what's encouraging for me? Not just that they want in on that, but as months and months go by, they can say, not only did I want in on that, but as I've been in on that, I've realized there's no better way to live. even when one of their own young men and friends is murdered. God still got this. And God still got us. Would you pray with me? We are amazed, Spirit of God, that you would create an entity, this, the church, the bride of Christ, his body. And God, I, I read these verses out of, out of Acts, and I'm challenged I'm challenged because, Amy and I don't always live like this, and I'm challenged because our church doesn't always live like this. And, and, and God, we pray for each of us that you would work in our lives. Oh, that these would be the things we're devoted to. That you would powerfully work within us a sense of community and fellowship and devotion to your word, to you in prayer and the breaking of bread as we see you move mightily. And then come along each side each other and sharing what we have with each other. And God, we would just be amazed at your work here and thankful for your presence. And then, God, would people around us that we love and care for who don't know you fall in love with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, we're going to celebrate communion. I explained it in the message. I'm not going to explain it again. There's a piece of bread at the top of this. If you didn't get one, feel free to go out in the hallway and grab one. And it reminds us of the body of Christ. And the cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus. And today as we sing these last couple of songs, we invite you to take the piece of bread and to remember the incarnation of Christ. Take the juice to remember the, body of, or the blood of Christ for you. And um, if you're not a believer today, we encourage you not to take this. This is for believers. But if you're a believer, you don't need to be a part of our church family. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to be someone that you know the Lord has saved. The Lord has worked in your life. The Lord has grabbed a hold of your heart. And if that's true of you today, I encourage you to take this little cup, to take the piece of bread and the juice and celebrate Jesus the Lord. God, we're thankful for sending your son. We're thankful for this 
wafer that reminds us this bread of the, of the incarnation, the body of Christ, and for this juice that reminds us of the blood of Christ. May this remind us of our dependence on you, Lord Jesus, for salvation, of your incredible sacrifice so that we could live, and of you bringing us together as a body of believers. Because what we have in common in you is more, greater, than anything else we could have in common, any hobby, any interest, any socioeconomic background, any educational background. What we have in common in this place is Jesus Christ, the Lord. We pray these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.